I just assume start talking. We'll figure it out. Uh, whatever. <laughs> so, uh, Carrie Thomas, before I mess this up, that's correct? That is correct. Okay. I am going to do intro. <laughs> I usually massacre everybody's names. Sometimes on purpose to give a little comedy. This, will, this is a pretty easy name. I think this you will be easy. Yes. I think you can manage it. It's not Pollock, but spelled differently. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Pollock from Poland. Uh, welcome to the TPH podcast. Today we have Carrie Thomas. Now, the thing I like to do with anybody who's in the predator hunting industry or predator hunters in general is. <coughs> Just cough. Cough. What was your first memorable stand? Well, first, thank you for having me on. Yeah. Um, my memorable stand, I was actually taking my kids to school one morning, <laughs> and I backed out of the driveway, and across the field by the house, I saw some coyotes. They were mousing around, and I stopped, parked the truck, told the kids, stay inside. <laughs> <clears throat> Then I jump out, run back in the house, go upstairs, get my gun. And it was kind of funny because I was, I opened up the window upstairs. I was going to shoot them from up there and I couldn't get the screen <laughs> off. And I started laughing and I was thinking to myself, you might be a redneck if you're trying to get the screen <laughs> off the upstairs window to shoot a coyote. So I come back down, head across the field a little ways and I've got a mouth call and there's a huge cedar tree. I go next to that tree and I can see them over there, but I don't have a shot at him. And so I blow on that call and I started squeaking on it. And this coyote turns around and comes straight to me. And he's on one side of the, the thick stuff and I'm on the other and I'm shooting my deer rifle, my 270. <laughs> the last time I shot that gun, I had it dialed up to nine on the scope. So I'm sitting here with the scope trying mm. to find him in the scope and I can't see him. I can't see him. And I look up and he's on the other side of the brush and he's looking, trying to figure out what I'm doing over there. And I finally dial it back down and smack him right there. And that was that was one that said, Man, this is this is cool stuff. It hooked you. Yes. Had you already done a little bit of hunting beforehand or was that I, just kind of like a opportunist type deal? That was opportunist. Uh I'd done some stuff before, but not a terrible amount of success with it. Right. It's like most people starting off, you're it's hit or miss, but it's yeah. mostly miss. Yeah. But that was the one you're like, oh, this is what I do now. Yeah, I, I actually got that one mounted. He was he was a big one. What did your kids say? Nothing. <laughs> they were just laughing at dad's over here doing that thing again. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. Where are you from? I am from Waco. Waco? Waco. Uh, grew up there, born, uh, went to school in Robinson out there, and that's where I've been. Never went anywhere else. I mean, other than traveling, hunting, which we'll get into that. Uh so after school, what was your, what'd you do? After high school or in high school, I really thought I wanted to be a mechanic mm -hmm. and work on cars. And then that fever kind of faded and I decided I wanted to go to school, learn, work on airplanes and helicopters. And, uh, I went to the campus and kind of had a bad experience there just looking over all the stuff that they had that we would be working on. And I decided not to go that route. So I broke that down and decided I was either going to be a fireman or I was going to go into the music business. 
So I went to school. I know it's kind of polar <laughs> opposites there. I went to school and got a degree in music. Mm-hmm. And then shortly after that, got a job as a fireman. Well, there you go. So I've <laughs> been a fireman for almost right at 27 years. And I actually retired last July. That's what I was going to ask you if you was retired now. Yeah. Well, how was firefighting? Firefighting was fun. Firefighting was fun. You get to see a lot of different stuff, a lot of different people. And uh, some of the coolest stuff is some of the behind the scenes that you get to the businesses and, and that stuff that most people don't get to see. Right. And y'all's fire department, did, were y'all, did y'all have to be cross-trained firefighter, paramedic, or did you uh, just do the firefighting? Or No, everybody there is a firefighter slash EMT. Mm-hmm. So uh, my class, when we got hired, they actually hired us on off the street and put us through a class and got us certified as EMTs and firefighters and then put us on shift. And we just swung from station to station learning how to do everything. So did you, what did you retire as? I retired as a firefighter. Okay. Yeah. Like captain or anything like no, that? Or? I, I stayed at the firefighter level. That's, okay. I had a, a job before I went to the fire department, I was working at a grocery store mm-hmm. and I was having some issues with management and that kind of thing. And, and I right. wanted to stay where I was happy yeah. and I was yeah. happiest as a firefighter. And I said, I don't want to do anything else, but yeah. this right here, this is my zone. Yeah. I did a little bit of firefighting. I didn't want to, and they, you know, engineer and I don't want to do all that. Yeah. I want to make entry. That's it. Yep. <laughs> Boots on the ground. That's all I wanted to do. That's all I ever did do. Uh, and it seems like it wasn't that long ago, but it was. So did you ever get into, get in, get into any hairy situations of being a firefighter? Oh, there was a few. Um, I spent a lot of my time at the outside stations like the airport. So mm-hmm. we had stuff out there. Every blue moon, there'd be something with a plane, but I can remember house fires uh i was still a rookie and i was following my lieutenant we went to this two-story house that was on fire and it was at night and it was chaos all over and we're up on the second floor and he grabbed me and pointed towards this window and he said see that window and i was like yeah and he says keep an eye on that window because you may have to go out of it here in a minute and i was like okay (laughs) this is pretty serious second floor window yeah did y'all have to go out? Of it? We did not. We did not. <laughs> we got everything taken care of and didn't have to deal with that. So, I guess did you? Oh yeah, obviously you had to do some EMT type stuff. I wasn't much of a fan of that myself. I'm assuming you weren't either. No, we call them doctor calls. Yeah, uh, yeah we. That's part of the job, but. We basically signed up to be firefighters, yeah. and that's just something you do along with that. Mm-hmm. But, and you do get to help people when they are at their worst, you yeah. know, and need help the most. And that's when you show up and, and try to save the day for them. You yeah. know, sometimes it's simple stuff like helping somebody on the side of the road uh, that's having some issues that they just pulled over and called 911. Uh, it may be somebody with a heart attack, or I came that close to delivering a baby. So. Oh. <laughs> No, thank you. (laughs) How did COVID change things? Well, for me, it didn't change things a whole lot at all. Um, In 2020, when COVID was really 
kicking up, I somehow blew out my right knee mm-hmm. in April of 2020. And then I had to have surgery on it in May. And so I was off work for all that time. And by the time we had a couple, one little complication with it, and by the time we were getting that squared away, I thought I'd be back to work in September or so. Uh, we had some, or I, not we, but I had some issues with the left knee. And so that kept me off. And then that went into the next year, 2021. And finally, at the end of the summer, I came to the conclusion I was going to have to have a knee replacement. Mm-hmm. So I went in and had that done and, and never went back to work. Man, in a way, I guess that was good, but not. You know, you didn't have to put up with, I'm sure there was a, it was a bit crazy time probably to be in that profession. Oh yeah. Cause right before I left, we were, we were starting to get the calls where you have to go to the house and, and we were suiting up with everything we could find to, to go in there to, to help whoever we could help with whatever needed to be done. Um, we got to get them packaged, you know, on the stretcher with the ambulance. And of course we don't run the ambulance, but we help those guys get them back out there so they can transport them. So yeah, it was, it was <gasps> some, some concerning yeah times during yeah. that. Oh, I mean, when it first kicked off, nobody knew what it was going to be. I mean, yeah. it was, we could do a whole podcast about what went on out here as far as like rumors and yeah. The pandemonium. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, it's terrible to say, but in a way, you kind of, well, skated around all that, I guess. I mean, it sucks that you're down. Yeah. You're, I mean, yeah. I've had some knee issues. I know it's like, it's terrible. I've never had a knee replacement. How's it? So, what did they, what did they do in your knee replacement? Uh, the, it was actually a partial replacement. Uh, they went in and, and, Basically, they shaved part of the uh, bottom bone, part of the top, and uh, put cobalt and uh, titanium. And then there's basically a plastic disc that goes in the middle for the cartilage. Mm-hmm. And all that stuff rides on that. And lots of therapy and yeah, still mornings where it aches, but it takes time. Overall, are you happy you did it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's- I was bone on bone. So Ooh. there was... I feel like that's probably in my future. My dad, my dad had, <clears throat> my dad had his knee blown out in a alumni football game, and I, I remember it was pretty young. I remember it was pretty, pretty long ordeal for him as well. It's, I'm sure, probably a pretty similar procedure. Which back then it was probably way different, but yeah. Yeah, that's the that's not the first surgery I've had on that knee. I blew it out the first time that left knee playing paintball. <laughs> but for what it's worth, I would have been MVP on that game. I mean, I was worth it. it. Yeah. <laughs> so, at what point did you really get deep into predator hunting? And I'm assuming with I'm assuming you probably had a typical firefighter schedule. Point twenty four on forty eight off. That's it. Um, it. Again, we get more and more people in here. It seems like a lot of the people that are, I'm going to say, more serious about predator hunting, generally have a job that allots them time to do a little bit more than the average person that works a Monday through Friday nine to five type yeah. deal. At what point did you, you know, 
kind of get real serious about predator hunting and start doing it more? And uh, Well, that little story I told you, that was probably after the beginning because uh, I'd, I'd done a little calling uh, and I had the, the old caller with the cassette tapes and I mm-hmm. bought speaker wire and I'd stretch it out there and, and uh, sit back and swap tapes out and all that. Um, so I'd, I'd been doing it for a while, but like I said, with limited success, I even went out and bought a, a cat toy with the feather on it that spun and I used it for decoy. Um, and then I just kind of upped my game a little bit more, a little bit more. And then I got with Fox pro and then I, I really turned the heat up. Yeah. About what year was that when you got with Fox pro? Ooh, I think it was. I think it was 2016. Yeah, I just want to say it, that seems about right when they it was it when they increased their staff. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So it seemed like that's when I well, that's when I became aware of a lot of guys are you know, being on the podcast. I think that's when we become friends on Facebook. Probably mm-hmm. is when they increase their staff. So what have what all does that entail being on their staff? Um, it's uh kind of you know everybody says pro staff you're the professional this and yeah. professional that but it's it's more promotional yeah. and professional so my job is to promote fox pro and mm-hmm. and uh if they have uh like i did some stuff with cabela's they had the predator classic that they used to do and so they've got that going at all the cabela's and fox pro can't be everywhere at once and that's where the field staff guys come in so they'll get us to go to the store and put on a presentation or just hang out or do a seminar and Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff so between that kind of stuff and just promoting wherever you can yeah and that's that's our job is to try to make fox pro look cool yeah are they still doing the uh seminars and all that stuff they kind of dialed it back at cabela's they've dialed that that since covid we haven't done anything with that i wish i wish they'd start doing it again i mean that was a good thing about them increasing their staff was all of a sudden you've seen, you know, a lot of these guys with Fox Pro start popping up at all the Cabela's and mm-hmm. which now, you know, Cabela's owns Bass Pro as well, don't they? Bass Pro owns Cabela's. Oh. Yeah. So that should open up uh, even, even more places. I, you know, I think it's good. Uh, I wish they'd just kind of, okay, COVID's gone. Let's get over it. Yeah. Or even if you have to, there's some sort of some sort of test, you know, quick yeah. test, whatever, to get into the seminar. I think they should start bringing that back. I know a lot of things have changed since 2016. Like there used to be, 2016 was kind of like that huge bump in predator hunting, where it really got super popular, like whew, huge explosion. Mm-hmm. And there used to be. Oh, well, we used to do seminars then too. Fox Pro was doing them. A lot of guys in the industry were doing all the seminars. I just, I hope they bring it back. I really wish they'd bring back the expo. Uh, the what was it called? Predator Hunt Expo. It was there in Waco, wasn't it? Yeah. And ironically, I never made it to it. <laughs> uh, I just, I never got there. The the year that I said, "Oh, I'm going to that," that was the year that they stopped. Yeah. We've we've talked about it a lot trying to get something back to put together but again you know i guess i shouldn't say too much to cabela's because 
it was the same thing. You know, we talked about putting on like an, an expo type deal, getting Fox Pro and everybody involved. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I'm like, eh, what if somebody does get COVID? I don't want to be, you know, I don't want that on my conscience yeah. type deal. So maybe next year. Yeah. <laughs> and see, I do pro staff work for Cabela's as well. Mm-hmm. And so that stuff in the store, we just, we haven't done that in the store. I haven't uh, had that much stuff going with Fox Pro outside of, you know, just social media for the most part. Right. So did the Cabela's thing, did that happen because of the Fox Pro thing? 100%. Through going to the store? 100%. So, you know, how did they approach you on that? They're just like, hey, we like what you're doing. Uh, pretty much I was working. We got the Cabela's in Waco. It's a smaller outpost mm-hmm. store. And then with Fox Pro, I was working at the one in Fort Worth. And I got to talking to the marketing manager up there, and and uh, she said, you need to be introduced to the guy that does that in Waco. And so she hooked us up, and then once I got with him, he said, we need to get you on our pro staff so we can get you in here all the time. And so it's a long, drawn-out application interview, all that stuff. But once I finally got through with all that, they, they signed me on. And so I've been doing that for ooh, maybe four years. Does that come with like you have to give us X amount, like X amount of whatever? What are those? I guess stipulations. Yeah, um, there's you're supposed to spend so many sessions in the store, and each session is supposed to be so many hours, mm-hmm. and that could be you could be doing. I've done demos on the pellet grills on cooking because, as you know, I like to cook. So yeah. I've done that. I've done stuff on guns. Um, um, just anything in the store that they need an extra hand in there to do. Mm-hmm. That's they get me in there to do that stuff. So and so that counts towards my quota that I have to fulfill for my contract. And I'm assuming this comes with some sort of reward, as far as the the store goes. Yes, you get um, you get compensated for each one of those sessions that you come right. in there for. And if you're like me, you're probably. Spending all of it back in Cabela's? Pretty much. Pretty much. <laughs> I mean, it's, you're already going to be doing that stuff anyways. Yeah. And it's, and, it's you know, fun. Yeah. It's, I mean, put me in there and let me talk about hunting and yeah. 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 That's, that's pretty cool stuff. It's not a bad deal. It's not a bad deal at all. Have they, have they changed a lot, not only due to COVID, but due to like the popularity of social media platforms and. Have they like tried to push you to do more stuff on that spectrum? I guess. Well, uh, not really because of COVID. We just everything's been kind of put yeah. on the back burner with all the pro staff stuff. Um, and I've gotten some some information from corporate that you know some stuff's going to be starting up, but thus far we haven't we haven't fired it back up yet. Well, that's good. I mean, I hope <clears throat> again, you know, especially coming from a huge corporation like that i'm sure there's a a huge amount of risk involved in like getting going too early and oh yeah as far as like posting on social media that they ask you to do so many posts a month and all that we're supposed to do that um just to to keep that name out there and keep us out there pushing that stuff and so sometimes they'll have a promotion that they're doing okay we've got flannel shirt week or something and and so we're we're out pushing that next little promotion that they've got that campaign that they start so there's there's all that 
That's pretty cool. So then at some point, I see that patch on your shoulder over there. You got in with Pulsar. When did that happen? That happened last year. Mm -hmm. Uh, I guess it started in uh, 2020, end of the year. Um, I saw on social media that they were looking for some pro staff guys. And kind of like with Fox Pro, when they were looking for guys, I said, you know what, that that might be something cool to do. I already use Fox Pro stuff, so it wouldn't be that big of a leap to – jump over there and do that and the same thing with pulsar i was already using pulsar thermal and when i saw that i applied and i honestly believe that it's the the fox pro and the cabela's combined that helped me oh i'm sure one door helps open the next and so i got signed on with pulsar and it's a it's a pretty cool deal with them as well because as you know i love my pulsar thermals Yeah. yeah i'm into that stuff so backing up a little bit, when you first started predator hunting, were you primarily daytime? When did you get into nighttime hunting? I was probably 90% daytime, and I had a cheap little Mickey Mouse flashlight with a red lens <laughs> that I was trying to do some calling at night mm-hmm. and with minimal success. But I started, uh, when I started with Fox Pro, I, I was just, my days off in the wintertime, I was just hammering it during mm-hmm. the day, all day long. I was just going, going, going. And then I started using more of the, the red lights. And then when I kicked things in with uh, Pulsar, I went pretty much nocturnal. Really? I, I, yeah, and I missed day hunting. And it's it's so fun to see them yes. coming in like that. Yes. That just, it's an adrenaline rush. But the nighttime stuff is, it's it's convenient. Yeah. You can 100%. do whatever you need to do all day long. And once the sun goes down, all right, well, we're going to go out there and play for a couple hours. Yeah. And it's typically more, typically, there's caveats to everything, typically more productive, especially once you get down a system or routine that works well for you in your area. Mm-hmm. And I'm assuming you probably figured out what works well for you in your area. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We can, uh, I can, some of my buddies have places that, they hunt or, or deer hunt that they've got coyotes coming in or, or whatever. And so I'll get with them and, and we'll mm-hmm. go out and kind of locate them and, and pull them in there and see what we can do with them. Is there anything coming down the pipeline that you can tell us about pulsar wise? Uh, <laughs> any, any juicy secrets? I can tell you this. The cooler stuff keeps, keeps getting cooler. Yeah. Oh, I, it, the, the explosion has been to me as far as equipment driving forward. It's kind of it's slowed down on most aspects, but thermals as it pertains to like lights, calls, and all that stuff. Thermals are really, you know, they're really taking off. They're getting way more affordable. I mean, the explosion of them over the past, what, three years? Probably the biggest oh, yeah. explosion. They're getting way more affordable. Uh, you're spending less money to get a better product. I do. I do shoot enough thermal to know that. What is your preferred Pulsar unit? Uh, I have got the one I use the most is a Trail XP50 with the LRF rangefinder. I'm about to put a uh, Thermion to mm-hmm. LRF. I've got a a 204 AR that I put together, and I'm going to put it on that. It's going to be fun. 
So <clears throat> is y'all's country primarily what kind of species of predators are you seeing mostly? Uh, it's, it's mostly coyotes. You get a bobcat here or there and a fox. You know, they're, they're there, but they're not near as thick as they are in some of the yeah. hill country stuff. Yeah. So you just primarily hunting around Waco? Yeah, I would go out Waco, um, head towards uh, Valley Mills and Clifton area and yeah. uh, Gatesville and just roughly about inside of an hour from Waco is, is my ground. Are you hunting primarily out of a high rack? Are you doing the old tripod thing? Or Man, I'm all over the map. It just yeah. depends. Uh, once I put that high rack in my truck, I try to use it as much as I can. And um, I've gotten up in there and set the seat and hunted. I've taken the seats out and stood in the top of it with a tripod and hunted off of that up in the high rack. Um, but depends on where I'm going. Uh, a lot of times I'll just park the truck and just walk in there at night, yeah. set that tripod up and go to work. Are you, are you, uh, well, it's probably, a, probably a yes, but being where you're at, you're probably dealing with smaller parcels of land. Oh yeah. There's the, you've got lots of guys that, you know, have the thousand acres tracks all over and we're looking at, you know, one of my big ones, maybe 500. So yeah. it's, it's more little areas that yeah. I'm having to deal with. That's kind of how it was for me back there. Same. Like I had, you know, 20, 30 spots, uh, which might seem like a lot. Yeah. But the overall acreage was like less than 4,000 acres. Yeah. <laughs> Some of it, you go and you get one call yep. here and maybe one on the back trying to call something off the next property, mm-hmm. but that's about it. Oh, I used to, I mean, back there, I literally, one of my places was literally a one acre lot and I wouldn't turn nothing down. I may or may not have called in people's neighborhoods that had problems with Fox inside city limits may or may not have, I wouldn't turn nothing down back, back then. Yeah. Well, I won't turn nothing down nowadays, but, uh, you know, being out here in the bigger country, it's, I'm not going to say it's better. It's not always better. Like some, you know, some places back home were very productive. You just had to spend a lot of time traveling to and from those locations. Yeah, you gotta you gotta learn your country. Yeah, know what it can do and can't do for you. No, you know that's something that because primarily most people are hunting like that. I would say, like not just everybody's gonna have these big ranches like that you have out here. Majority of Majority of your people are probably hunting smaller tracks like that, and they struggle with success because they don't understand stuff like, okay, if I have a 200-acre hayfield that I get to call, that's it, in that one little location, and it's no good for this certain wind, don't go in there when that certain wind's blowing. You know They'll do it anyway. Yeah, and that's where, you know, that's where... Uh, stuff like the stuff at Cabela's, the seminars, that kind of stuff comes in handy. When they bring it back, I hope people start going again. Yeah. When I do those seminars, I go into detail on all the little stuff, and mm-hmm. a lot of guys are standing and scratching their heads, and I never thought about that. Yeah. But, yeah, that if the wind's not right, go back home. Yeah. I mean, you can't, on small property, you can't afford to, like on a big ranch, okay, the wind's not right for moving this direction. We can move around, go to the other side of the ranch. 100 acre, 200 acre hayfield may not be something you can do. Yeah. So go home. Don't call it that night. Yeah. But 
I know when you're first getting into predator hunting, it doesn't matter. You just want to hunt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Surely they'll be stupid enough to come in. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, I mean, I used to tell everybody when we would do a few seminars. I know I'm wasting my breath telling you, don't hunt it if the wind ain't right. Like, it's not worth it on small acreage. Just go back another day. So what I'm going to tell you is gather up several places, and you have one place that's a throwaway place. And, and when you get the urge and you just have to go hunt, just go hunt that one place. And you'll be better off. Like, save everything else for the perfect, you know, what you deem the perfect weather, the perfect wind. Mm-hmm. You'll be much better off. Rarely do people listen, but that's what I did. Uh, I personally think if you start out on small acreage such as that, you're a much better predator hunter. That's just my personal opinion. Well, you have to be. You yeah. have to be. Your skills have to be there because you don't have the the leeway or the wiggle room mm-hmm. to make those many that many mistakes. Well, when I first come out here, I noticed on this big land like this that wind direction, especially when I first got out here and I hunted with a bunch of different people from around here, wind direction was like, there's like, yeah, it's blown that way. But they wouldn't, it wasn't, like in my mind, I'm like, because <laughs> I'm used to, yeah. small, I'm like, oh, we can't hunt here. And they're like, dude, it's 10,000 acres. We can just go down <laughs> this other road and start at the other end of the ranch. And I'm like, oh, yeah. But it just, it, it, it was second to whatever else, you know, as opposed to where I was from, uh, it was first. Okay, the wind's blowing this direction tonight. I would have my little binder. You know, that's, I don't, I don't even know if there was an app, a good app yet when I first started hunting around there. I had a binder with all the little maps. Mm-hmm. And, uh, okay, I know I can hunt all these tonight because this will have this wind. Uh, and you'll, it'll teach you to not just go out willy-nilly whenever you feel like it. You know, you, you be more selective with your days. What, what I would consider a higher percentage day as mm-hmm. opposed to just whenever, you know. Uh, you're scouting, especially when you're dealing with small parcels of land. Mm-hmm. Scouting is way more important than big parcels of land. Because big parcels of land, yes, scouting is important in all land. But in big land, you can just be like, okay, we're going to take off. You know, this looks like it's a good area we'll call. Small land, you want to make those stands count way to. more. Yeah. Yeah. Don't overhunt your land. Mm-hmm. A lot of guys will... I talked to them at, you know, some of the seminars or something. And they're saying that, you know, we've hunted this place. And I said, well, how often are you going over there? He said, we don't get anything. Said, well, we, we tried about once a week. And I said, well, yeah, you've got some <laughs> some cows walk around with the little yeah. graduation hat with the tassel hanging yeah. off of it. Because you just gave them some pretty good education. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a, again, that goes back to my suggestion. If they were, if they, I knew they weren't going to listen. So I'm like. Say one piece of property. They'll eventually, if they stick with it, they'll eventually start figuring that out. Like, don't overcall it. Mm-hmm. And you know, on small land, you're always. It's not always like West Texas where you can see a mile downwind and all that. Small land, there's you're going to be, there's always going to be something getting downwind of you, whether you see it or not. That's a different yeah. story. It could be. Whatever the situation is, there's always going to be something downwind that you can't see on small parcels of land. Yeah. And you, you know, you've got to learn where to put that collar out there, yeah. too. Yeah. Because that 
the wind's everything. Yeah. The wind's everything. One thing I've noticed is people who grew up or primarily hunt open country, as opposed to people who come up hunting small tracts of land, call placement is less valuable, important, if you will, to the guys that grew up hunting open country as opposed to guys hunting small parcels of land. Because on small parcels of land, that's where the e-call really comes in handy. Because you're you're not just in big open country. You're in yeah. this small, confined space. You need to, even if the wind's right, you need to set up this situation to put the coyote where you want it to be. Yeah. And that's where e-call comes in real handy. Yeah, because he may pop out of that tree line right over here beside you, mm-hmm. and you need to know where that wind's going. Yeah. Which, I mean, I ran... So I got, it got to where, you know, pre the huge explosion, what anybody called around where I used to live. I could run a Foxborough all the time. As a matter of fact, I ran a, I run the batteries out of a Fox Pro uh, wildfire too. Mm-hmm. For a long time. Because I mean, again, back home, lots of tall timber. You get good echo off everything. You didn't need a big collar. And while that was Pretty early on, there was issues here and there with the remote, you know, the older remotes. Mm-hmm. You know how they were, line of sight type deal. But as the explosion happened, it got to where I was mouth calling more. So then I swapped to mouth calls in that, I don't know if they still make it. The Fox Pro made a little decoy that had coaxer sounds on it. I can't remember what it's called. I know what you're talking it's a, it's about. It's a tiny little decoy. It has the regular yeah. decoy spinner on it, but it has a little tiny speaker on the bottom, that ha- and you have a little remote that has the craziest range on it. It's like a little keychain fob with a little pull-out antenna. Mm-hmm. I still carry that thing every once in a while when I'm mouth-calling because once they enter into the field, I don't want them looking at me anymore when I'm mouth-calling. I want them to look at something else, so you can control that little decoy and turn on a coaxing sound. Mm-hmm. I can't remember. I can't can't believe I can't remember the name of that thing. It's great. I've had it for years now. As a matter of fact, Mike Dillon might have gave that to me. Because one time, all my crap got stolen, and uh, which I was distraught, like rifles and everything. I'd packed my truck. This is pre uh, before I had a huge problem with owning lots of bang sticks. So, you know, I had my coyote guns, had two of them. I had all my calling gear, everything, loaded up in the pickup. I had always done this because I like to be prepared. Someone stole all my crap that night. And I call this the good old days of Facebook when it it was way different than it is now. Everybody was just all about it and everybody was happy-go-lucky. And Mike Dillon and all them were still on Facebook groups before all the know-it-alls were probably run them off. You know, I'm sure you know how that goes. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm pretty sure they, uh, no, I'm 100% sure. Trussell called Dylan. Dylan called me, and they gave me a new caller, and that decoy was one of them. But anyways, I'm just rambling on now. (laughs) I wish I could remember the name of that. It's almost like if we had a Jamie in the studio here to look up said things. It'd be crazy. Wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, I wouldn't even know what to look for. Uh, it doesn't matter. Uh, 
it's not Fox Jacks. Fox Jacks the one that mounts to the call. Yeah, and I don't even know if they make this anymore because I haven't looked at Foxborough's website in forever. Because I kind of, I'm like everybody else. I kind of get my favorites and what what Fox Pro are you currently running? What's your favorite one? I just picked up, and I don't know why it took me so long. I just got an X Wave, mm-hmm. so that's probably going to be my new favorite caller. I've mm-hmm. been playing with it. Yeah, uh, the Shockwave has been my go-to yeah. for the longest. And I've kind of gotten to a point to where when I do go out before dark and daylight, I've got my shockwave and I use the decoy. Yeah. Unless I'm playing vocals, I've got that decoy spinning. Yeah. Uh, anytime I play vocals, I make sure it's off. I don't, I don't, when they come in on vocals, I want them looking for that coyote, not looking right. at that decoy. Yeah. And so at night I've been running the X2S. Yeah. And so that, that thing's, Pretty slick too. Yeah, I know a lot of people. It replaced the X2S replaced the CS24. Yeah, I know that CS24C. I think it's C. Yeah, I've got one of those. I don't know if it was a good move because there is a lot of people who still love that call, but I keep telling them like, "Hey, I've been running the X2S for since it came out." Uh, I don't see any issues with it. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that CS24C. Yeah. But I like the S- X2S, X2S because of playing two sounds. Right. And I do that on a pretty regular basis. But I would, I know as far as, you know, because we've, we've always sold, he calls Fox Pro and just one or two lucky ducks at Ally, but primarily we sell Fox Pro most of, which has also slowed down since COVID. And all the inflation, everybody's getting a little bit tight on money. But pre all that, we sold a ton of CS24Cs and then the X2S, and it was a little bit slow. People are like, oh, I don't like change. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like I said, I've been running the X2S. I, I'm bad about like every year, new call, if new calls come out, I have to go buy them. People are going to ask me. Yeah. So then, even though it pains me to give away my e-calls, I'll give them away to people every year. I wish I wouldn't have gotten rid of my CS24C. <laughs> Only reason was I want one in here. Like I, oh, did, I did, gotcha. I didn't really think about that until I, I give away my last one. <laughs> eventually, I mean, we have way more shelves. I'm going to, I haven't even got, like I've still got all in the room you're staying in. There's a ton of e-calls in there. Like I want to stack it up, you know, Fox pro is pretty important part of predator hunting, mm-hmm. you know, uh, now, well, nowadays it's the market's way more flooded, which it's kind of, you know, you had the explosion in predator hunting here, come all the e-calls and mm-hmm. then it kind of, well, you've seen who the main ones were cause they were still going when it, when the dust settled, yeah. you don't, you don't hear much from some of the other guys anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Well, they were, you know, part of my application with Fox Pro is somewhere in there they were asking a question about why do you like Fox Pro or something like that. And, you know, I I remember putting something in there that said that I've been using them because I thought they were the best. Mm-hmm. And when you've got all these other callers coming out and what they do is compare theirs to Fox Pro, then that speaks volumes right there. Yeah. So if everybody else is trying to compare themselves to you, then yeah, you must be doing something right. Yeah, I mean, 
if they're coming after you, it's for a reason. Yeah. They're not going to go after somebody that doesn't make good stuff. Yeah. Obviously. Does Foxborough, do they have any new sounds out uh, this year? Or? Not yet. They're Usually it's towards the, I think, around September, October when they do come out. And I don't think we came out with anything last year. I know since COVID, like, really screwed everybody up. Yeah. As far as, do they have any new callers you can tell us about? Uh, <laughs> I don't know anything on that. I don't know anything on that. What is it? So what is it about, switching gears again, what is it about thermals that you like over lights? Or is it, is it not so much that you like it over lights? You know, what are your thoughts and theories and all that? Well, I I think I do like it over lights. Uh, and lights, they, I think they have their place. Mm-hmm. But I'm just really into the thermal. You can yeah. You can see an animal out there whether he's looking at you or not yeah and that's my thing i you know you go out there and you you shine your light and he may be on the other side of the field on the tree line over there and if he's not looking at you you don't know he's there right with that thermal there's something over there so you start calling and you look oh i got his attention here he comes and so Mm -hmm. i like being able to see everything that's out there yeah so as far as your typical shot what do you find that to be Range wise, range wise, my goal, a hundred percent of the time, is to get up inside of a hundred yards. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got some stuff I posted just the other day, what we call some pigs in, mm-hmm. and they were over four hundred yards out. And my buddy uh, Blake shot him at sixty yards. Mm-hmm. And yeah, every time we, if, usually I'm hunting by myself, but when I do go out with somebody, I've got that range finder, so. Wherever they're at, I'm calling out ranges and telling them, okay, he's at 275, hang on. Okay, he's at 200, okay, 130, hang on. This. And once he crosses that 100-yard mark, then I'm trying to get him to stop so we can get a standing shot. Yeah. And so, yeah, my goal is always inside of 100 yards. The range founders on the thermal was a huge – I don't use this word very often. I would dare to say it's a game changer. For because, me? Because Go ahead. I'm, I'm, I'm sure you're well aware of this. You've probably spent way more time behind thermal than I have. Your depth of, like your, what is it, depth of perception, I guess you'd yeah. call it, on a thermal is not what it is on a regular night. No. Stuff. No. So I would say the, the range finders were a big attribute. Well, I started off with just the XP-50. Mm-hmm. And... This little store here is why I decided I need a range finder. <laughs> I go out to a property. The guy said, I got coyotes coming up to my house. I need you to do something about it. I show up, and I'm out there by myself. I'm on my tripod. I got my, my gun, my bolt, my six-millimeter Creedmoor, and I fire that call off with some howls, and I look up, and I see coyote coming. I said, okay, here we go. I said, there's two of them. I said, all right, let them get a little closer. Then I look, and I see something to the left. Oh, there's a third one. And then I keep watching. They're getting closer and closer. And over that little little knoll, there's two more. I said, oh, my goodness. I got five <laughs> coming in. They're all coming in. And I'm just, I'm like, okay, how many am I going to get? Don't screw this up. Don't screw this up. And so I get them. There's a pond out there. And he comes in, and he's just this side of the pond. 
And I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to get this closest one and start working my way out. Because I always like to shoot the closest one. Take the duck, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I shoot and I miss. And, of course, I'm shooting suppressed. And they all start moving away and they kind of stop. And I'm, okay, maybe he's a little further than I thought. Because I'm thinking he may be 175, but I'm going to go ahead and take this shot. And I fire again. And then they all start moving. And then I'm shooting at that one over there. And I'm, I can't get them to stop. And I'm shooting at that one over there. And I was like, man, I don't understand what's going on here. And so then the landowner, as I'm leaving, he says, well, did you do any good? I said, man, I, I called him, but I couldn't hit him. I said, how far is it to that tank out there? He said, it's got to be a good five, 600 yards. <laughs> I, was like, I said, I've got to get a range finder. Yeah. Because what people don't realize with a thermal you're looking at a tiny TV screen. Yeah. Everybody thinks that you're looking through it like a traditional scope and yeah. you're not. So you're trying to judge how far that thing is by looking at a tiny little TV screen. Mm-hmm. And then if you don't know the property, it's going to be hard to do. And yeah. what I had done was zoomed in as they were coming. So zoomed in, they looked like they were a lot closer. Yeah. So yeah, I went, bought me the LRF. Model, <laughs> so I don't make that mistake. And I'm, I range everything yeah. I'm shooting out there. Every yeah, that's, time. that's the biggest thing. Well, that's the thing I dislike the most is the, the depth of perception. And it gets everybody. I'm, and I even warn people, hey, it's shooting out a thermal a lot different, especially when they haven't even laid eyes behind it before. I'm mm-hmm. like, don't shoot until I tell you to. Yeah. <laughs> they yeah. always wanted to start pulling the trigger as soon as they can make out. Oh, it's coyote. I mean, yeah, it's also 600 yards out. <laughs> yeah, and you don't know it, especially once you zoom in on them. So, I know, you know, the silencer code, what was it called, 50? Radius? I'm blanking it. Your radius, right? I think so. The range finder? Yeah, radius. That, when thermals kind of first really start getting hot, uh, they stopped selling that for whatever reason. It was that... You could mount it on top of an optic or the side of a AR. It got super popular when they stopped making it, uh, which also it came down price because they was selling out of them. And then I just kept thinking, like, why, you know, technology. Why don't we have the rangefinder in the optic or it sell it? You know, lo and behold, it wasn't maybe a year or two later they started getting more and more common. Now you, it seems like you're seeing everybody jumping on that. Mm-hmm. And it is for a a new person to thermal shooting, I would highly recommend practicing. I would highly recommend some sort of range finder. If you're, because some of these lower cost thermals don't have that option. Yeah. <clears throat> that being said, if you can get behind some thermal before you purchase one, that's probably the better way to go. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. Cause, uh, Everybody wants to save as much as they can, so I'll buy this cheaper one, and it is still a thermal, and I can see stuff out there, but sometimes it's the difference of seeing that that's a, a coyote and not a pig or, or whatever. I've had yeah. instances where I've I've called in a dog, yeah, and, you know, had I had a cheaper thermal, I'd have been trying to explain why I shot somebody's oh, dog. Yeah, yeah there's a – which it is getting better and better. Yes. The oh, technology, yeah. it, you know. I'd probably say Pulsar's right up there at the top of the pack as far as leading the charge better, more cost-effective, all that. Yeah, but I, I think across the board, their price for what you get yeah. 
is is where they're at. Yeah, I mean, back when we first kind of started messing with thermal, I think Drigicon was kind of like the big dog, which it was also came with a big price tag. Oh, yeah. I also remember, am I misremembering? Maybe y'all know the answer to this. The, one of the very first thermals I looked through that was awesome was it an ATN Thor, maybe? The Thor was kind of the, the big dog at one point. The and 640, because I had the 640 core. It's kind of, it's kind of seemed like I remember using one of those, but like not even two years ago, I looked through a lower cost ATN. I was like, <laughs> what is this? <laughs> what th- This is not what I remember ATN looking like, which I, it, I already have enough problems. Wanting to keep up with the newest technology. My mm. thing is day optics. And that can get really expensive. I mean, some of these are the same price as thermals. I don't need another. And I do try to buy a few thermals here and there. Trying to buy them, check them out. Because I want to I have a, a response when people ask me. But it is, it is, you know, a costly game to try and get the newest stuff. But if you can, every year it gets better. For yeah. lower money. I mean, that's just all there is to it. Yeah. And if you can get in it and get something decent mm-hmm. and then something really cool comes out, you can get most of your money back for yeah. that one yeah. and then upgrade to the next one up till you get to that really good one. Yeah, it seems like they hold their value pretty good for the most part, which, I mean, it's gotten so crazy. Everybody's selling thermals now on Facebook mm-hmm. and all that. It's It's hard to keep up with everything coming out nowadays and – so, do y'all primarily just cow hunt, or you uh, shoot a lot of pigs, or uh, I will shoot the the opportunistic pig. Yeah. Uh, I don't go out a lot of times looking for pigs, but I will not pass a pig up. But no, it's it's pretty much coyotes. Um, on occasion, I will take a fox, and the bobcats are. There's not just a ton of them around, so if he's an exceptional bobcat, he's probably going down. Right. Let's talk about. Was that your first trip to Africa? Or you? Been I've gone three times. Three times. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about that. That's something I really want to do someday. I just don't want to do it right now. Oh, I love it. That's what everybody, it. everybody you talk to. I have another friend that goes every year, and that's a, like. Well, he also. Hopefully, we have him on his podcast someday. He hunts a bunch. He goes all over. I mean, he's killed polar bears, all kinds of crap. But he's still, like, Africa's a blast. Uh, what was your first trip like? Uh, my first trip was kind of a killing spree. Uh, <laughs> there was four of us, and we were knocking some stuff down. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, a, it was a good first trip. Uh, I don't take anything away from that um but yeah we would get up in the morning and and go hunt till mid-morning and we'd come back and kind of have a brunch and relax until about three in the afternoon and we'd head back out and go after them again so and you could probably on a really good day you might take two animals but generally speaking it's one a day and you'll spend the day trying to find that particular one so you'll make some stalks and that one's not good enough or that one's got a broke horn or whatever or would you get busted trying to make the stock? But it's the it's the coolest hunting. And I know guys like to, 
to hunt the states and and i've been asked several times why would you want to go all the way over there to shoot you know animals and i'm like well i can be on that truck and see dozens and dozens of different critters yeah all over the place and not to knock a an elk hunt or or something like that but you or grizzly bear or something something big you know you spend a lot of money to go get that one. Oh yeah and i can fill up the back of that truck yeah for the same money and do it for 10 days and and have yeah, a get, tall time get treated like a king from what oh, i yeah. hear I, yeah i hear all the well not all of them but i hear most of the guide outfits over there are fantastic and you definitely get your money's worth oh yeah yeah second trip was more of a of a experience the country kind of thing. I, instead of 10 days of solid hunting, I did eight days of hunting and two days going through Kruger National Park. Mm-hmm. And that two days was, to me, that was the equivalent of those eight days worth of hunting because, I mean, I got to see cheetahs chasing zebra. Oh, just like National awesome. Geographic. It was be pretty awesome. It was crazy cool. So stuff like that. Um, and then this last trip was... It was over the moon. Um, I was trying to put, and I'm going to try it again, and I was trying to put a group together of guys that have never gone and kind of be the tour guide with the uh, PH Tony. And I ended up having to go by myself. And so I was telling him, I said, man, I don't have anybody to go with me. And he said, well, just come by yourself. We'll have a good time. Yeah. Best trip ever. It was just he and I, and we did some some stuff I never would have been able to do <laughs> otherwise. Yeah. So it was it was pretty cool. So you're just primarily shooting, I guess, what they call planes game? Yeah, the first trip and second trip were planes game. Uh, the last trip, I went and shot a buffalo, Cape Buffalo. Yeah, that was that. that was my main goal for that. And then we did a lot of calling. That's and what I was going to say. I seen some jackals. We smacked some jackals. That was pretty cool. I, I still kick myself turned down. I got some company. This was been, I don't know, years ago now. Uh, invited a bunch of Texas predator hunters to go to Africa and have this jackal calling contest between America and them. <laughs> It was like this big promotional thing for, I want to say it was a calling call, calling company, but I don't remember now. It's been so long ago. And it was going to be a paid trip except for the flight. And I was like, I don't, I'm scared. I don't want to do it. I should have went. Yeah. Because the, all the people that went had a blast and they killed like, I think they was there for a week and they killed like 400 jackals or something crazy like that. I was like, God. Some areas went. are just overrun with them. Yeah. And they're, they got, they're using, they got a lot of different jackal vocals that they're using over there. Like we've got a ton of coyote vocals. They've got vocals for jackal over there. So, so did y'all go out at night with lights or take the thermal or uh, what did you do? We had thermal and we uh, did some day calling as well. But most of our stuff was at night. How was the day calling? Are they are they like fox where they primarily move at night or? Uh, they are more nocturnal. Mm-hmm. Um, and we did do a little good in the daytime, but most of the, what we saw was at night. Did y'all call any big cats up when he was out there calling? No, we did not. The very first time I went over there, I was also with Tony on that one. And I took 
I think I had the little red lens flashlight I was telling you about. <laughs> and I had a mouth call. Mm-hmm. And we went out one night and said, all right, let's go call, see what we can do. And we went parked next to this dry creek. And we sit there on the back of that truck, shut the lights off. And I got my little flashlight and I'm shining at <laughs> And I'm blowing on this rabbit call. Wah, 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 and I'm just getting after it. And I keep looking around and I'm looking and looking. And then finally I said, I can't do this. Turn the lights on. And Tony's like, what? I said, I can't do this. I said, I don't know what's coming. Because you got leopard, you got cheetah, yeah. you you got some stuff out there yeah. that's bigger than a, a jackal. So yeah. I just chickened out. I said, turn the lights back on. I cannot do this. So uh, I think I ended up getting a porcupine that night. I shot a porcupine. A porcupine. I've noticed, and I've always been curious about this, one of the, one of the guys I follow, which... God, there's so many people on social media now. I think he's one of the Fox Pros guys, or he was at one time, is over there and kills tons of jackals. I mean, tons. But I've noticed a lot of those varmint hunters over there, they're all running some sort of chair. Mm-hmm. And it seems like, and I've always wondered about this, there's a cage around them on the back of that pickup. Now, they're always a bunch of jackals tied to it. And I'm sitting there thinking, I wonder if that's because they're a little bit worried about something. I never noticed the cage. It's, I can't remember the guy's name. I know he was with Fox pro. I think it's, it's is it Francois something? <sighs> I can't. And remember. I'm friends with him too. I just, I'm embarrassed that I can't remember his name. <laughs> and, you know, can't keep up with everybody's names. But yeah, I, I always, I, they've got them strung along the sides of it. But yeah, I never noticed the cage. I've always wondered about that because most of them guys you see, well, it may be different now, but most of the ones you would see had some sort of like cage looking contraption around. I'm sitting there thinking, I wonder if that's for big cats, like in case they're a little bit worried. I would, again, uh, it's just we're too busy to do, do it now. Eventually, I'd like to go and, especially, I don't, I mean, the planes game would probably be fun. Some long-range hunting, you know, it's something else we like to do. But primarily, I want to do a bunch of jackal, and I'd like to, I don't know how to pronounce it, a caracal? Caracal. Mm-hmm. It's like, I guess it would be about the size of a bobcat, maybe. Yeah. Maybe a little bit taller and lankier. Yep. I'd love to go over there and do some stuff like that. I saw the, the third trip over there, I finally got eyes on one mm-hmm. and could not get a shot on him. It was quick. Yeah, and I couldn't get a shot on him, but yeah, I, that's that's been on my list from day one. So, how are the the jackals as far as how they respond to a call? Is it kind of like a coyote, or it is? Uh, they're they're a lot like that, um, and I think we were we're playing some uh, vocals and some distress sounds, and I would think that our distress sounds here will work over there because I played some. Uh, African distress sounds from their hairs over here, and it, it works here. So yeah. a predator just hears something that he can go eat. Yeah, I mean, well, back in the day, we used we used to use jackal vocals every once in a while. When we get in those areas that have been called real hard, we'd mm-hmm. start reaching for jackal sounds and all kinds of stuff. You got to go left field when you yeah. got – and that goes back to, you know, having small areas that you have to mm-hmm. hunt. Yeah. And some of the places that I hunt, other people are allowed to go oh, hunt yeah. there too. Yeah. So they're, they've they gone in there every other couple of weeks and played every rabbit sound known yeah. to man. And Lightning so, Jack. Lightning Jack. So, <laughs> <laughs> so when I go in there, 
I have to play anything other yeah. than a rabbit. I'm playing baby alligators and yeah. and baby yep. bats or, you know, all kinds of stuff. Yeah. So on this third trip, you killed, I just went blank again, jackals. Mm-hmm. Cape, Cape buffalo? Yes, sir. What else did you get? Uh, I got the buffalo. I shot a couple of wildebeest. <clears throat> and I shot an impala. The wildebeest and the impala were shot for an orphanage, mm-hmm. and that meat was donated to them. Um, I got another. I got my second zebra, and I shot a really, really nice mountain reed buck. We had went and set up a, a blind on a water hole because we were looking for the warthog whose tusks come around like that. And yeah. they spotted one on the backside of this property. And uh, we were going to go back there and, and see if we could build a blind and, and catch him coming in that water hole. And we were sitting there, and this um, mountain reed buck came in. And I was just sitting there because I never entertained a mountain reed buck, you know, yeah. taking one. And Tony looked, and he said, that's a pretty good mountain reed buck. And I was like, yeah, okay, I'm waiting on a warthog. <laughs> <clears throat> And then he looks again, and he says, that's one mother of a mountain reed buck. Yeah. And I said, well, let me take a look, because I want to see what one of those looks And I'm sitting there looking, and he looks at me again. He says, shoot him. <laughs> and I was like, huh? He said, you got to shoot him. Yeah. And I was like, well, hang on now, because some of that little stuff gets expensive. Yeah. And uh, he said, that's going to be better than any warthog that ever walks up to this hole. Yeah. You've got to take that mountain reed buck. And so I said, okay, we're hunting mountain reed buck. <laughs> <laughs> so I shifted gears pretty quick on that. Yeah. What, what caliber rifle did you primarily Did you use a couple? Or um, most of the animals I've taken over there were with my 270 Ruger. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the exception, I've shot an Eland on the second trip, and I used a 300 Win Mag. I shot a giraffe on the first trip. And that was a 375, I think Remington. And then I took my 375 Ruger for the Buffalo. So I bought that gun specifically to kill a Buffalo one right. day. And I, I shot a black bear up in BC with it, but it was for the Buffalo. Yeah. How did the, how was the Cape Buffalo? Cause I know that can get kind of hairy sometimes. Uh, I shot him four times, 300 grain bullets. He just didn't want to give it up. Yeah. Uh, first shot was just behind the shoulder, a little high and he sucked it up and started going forward. And then I just chambered another one just to try to hit him. And he went across and, and we could see the trees shaking. And, um, of course we spotted him that morning. It took us, we had to hoof it for a couple of miles, I think to try, they were headed to a water hole. So we were trying to hit him off and we finally mm-hmm. got up in, in front of some of them but they were crossing this little road that we were standing on. So I was worried that we were going to get a bunch of them come into us. And we did have some come out in the road and they looked up and they saw something down there and they said, what is that? And they started coming towards us. And I was like, Oh my goodness, he's coming this way. <laughs> and then luckily another one came across and they started fighting a little bit and, and went on. But then mine came out when we were after and I uh, hit him, he went across and then you can see this tree over there shaking. And, uh, then Tony and I, we started walking down the road, getting closer, and we get over there, and I got the sun is perfectly lined up right behind him. So all I can see is kind of a dark silhouette, mm-hmm. and I can, say we, I can see which way he's facing. And Tony said, shoot him again. 
And I said, all right. And so I get up there and I hit him and with that 300 grain bullet and he just rocked and did yeah. that. And I was like, oh my goodness. And he said, <laughs> reload, reload. And I'm dropping bullets on the ground. I'm shaking so bad. I was like, he didn't even flinch. And, and Tony's got a four six four sixteen, yeah, double rifle. And yeah. he's sitting like this the whole time. And he's saying, if, if he sees us, yeah, he's coming. Yeah. So be ready. And that's when I started dropping bullets everywhere. <laughs> and then uh, finally got one more shot in on him. And he finally did the wobble, went down and hit the tree. And, and we took a knee and just waited for him to finish. And then you hear that death bellow. And yeah. You know, he's done. Were you shooting open side or running optic? Or? Uh, no, I had a Leopold on there with uh, uh, a fire dot, I think it's yeah. called. Yeah. yeah. Just a, what, a one to six or something like that? Or? Uh, I think it's a. I want to say it goes up to 12, but that's not, I didn't have it cranked up near that high. Got you. Yeah. Well, I'm assuming his. He was, he was open, open side. Yeah. 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 I figure a lot of them pHs probably run. That's yeah. probably pretty typical, I imagine. Yeah. Seeing him on high alert, because he's hunted buffalo and leopard, yeah. he knows. And when I saw him on high alert, that that's what got me on high alert. <laughs> yeah. I was laughing at myself like, dude, what's wrong with you? But I was dropping bullets in the sand and trying to get them in the chamber. Finally got a couple in the chamber, and I was like, okay, I got this. I got this. <laughs> well, being as you mentioned it, I got to ask, what about the bear hunt? Um, The bear hunt, the first go-round, I went in the spring, and I had to go back in the fall. Mm-hmm. Um, I had high expectations when I went in the spring. I had two bear tags, and I had a wolf tag, and I had my fingers crossed, and I was like, I want to go, I want to get a black bear that's solid black with no white patch on him, and I want to get a, a color phase, and I want mm-hmm. maybe a wolf to go with him and all that. <laughs> and I went up there and hunted all week, and I finally, I think on the last day, I got a shot at a bear, and I missed. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was a long ride home. Oh, I imagine. And so I get back home, rebook for the fall. Tags are still good, so I'm going to try to get something out of it. Go back in the fall. And, well, the week before I left, I took my gun out to get a feel for it because at 375 is not something you want to sit and shoot all day long. No. it's a, It doesn't kick, it shoves. Yeah. And so I go out and I shoot a couple of shots, and I can't get anything to group inside of three inches at 100 yards. And I'm like, something's wrong here. And I it looked like I shot that paper with a shotgun. Yeah. And so I go and take the gun in and say, somebody look at this scope and tell me what's going on with it. And I've got another scope I need to swap this out with. And they looked at it and say, well, your rings are loose. It's like, I torqued all that stuff down, I know. And and then it started hitting me. That's why I missed the bear. Because I hadn't shot the gun since I shot at the bear. Yeah. So we go ahead and swap the scope out and go back up there, hunt all week on the last day. I'm at the end of my rope. We're riding around and on the logging roads looking for bears. And I start that morning off. I go through all my emotions. I start off because you can't have your gun loaded. And so I don't have a magazine that I pop in. I've got to press the bullets in. So I've got the bullets in between my fingers and I'm, <laughs> I'm ready and we're, we're riding. I'm like, where's the bear? Where's the bear? Where's the bear? And at this point, I don't care if he's black. I don't care if he's cinnamon. <laughs> if he's polka dot, just show yeah. me a bear I can shoot. So I don't have to go home a second time empty handed. And uh, we're going along, and I finally go from the bullets here to 
I'm sitting back in the seat now. And then I go from that, the bullets are laying in the console, the gun's leaning over. <laughs> I've got my arms folded and I don't care anymore. I'm yeah. just, I'm done. Yeah. And I said, you know, let's get me something to eat. And uh, Kevin, the other guy that was hunting with us, he said, well, um, let's pull over somewhere to where we can at least glass while we're eating. And so we stopped on a, on a road that's kind of on a hill. And they were on the back of the truck getting the jet boil fired up and they were going to make us some soup. And I'm walking back and forth next to the truck, kicking rocks. And I'm just, I'm done. I'm emotionally drained. I'm, yeah. just, I'm ready to go home now. Last day, let's just, I'm done. <laughs> and as I'm walking back and forth, I see about that much hair go across the road just below the hill. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, hey, hey, there's a bear. There's a bear. And so we go grab stuff and, and uh, head him off and get up there in front of him. And he's walking along. And he looks up and sees us standing in front of him. And I popped him right in the throat at 40 yards. <laughs> Huge white patch. He looks like he's got a tuxedo on. And I was like, mm, I finally got my yeah. bear. But I was, and I was on top of the world again. <laughs> Just that quick. All them, especially them trips, you're, you, you have high expectations. You're away from home. And it's, you know, regardless if it's guided or whatever, it's always a bit of a grind. You're just, you're, you're just getting after it. You know, you're tired. You're, especially as you get, like, the last day scenario sucks. Because oh, it is, a, it's an emotional roller coaster. Big time. You're, you're usually kind of pissy. <laughs> Starting out excited, you get a little pissy. You're like, God, you know. Yeah. And, you know, it's a, I hope everybody gets to experience that, those emotions. I mean, yeah. For me, I get it. I get that way when it comes to guiding other people because it seems like it never works out as far as weather for me nowadays. I don't know what it is. I'm just bad luck, I guess. Well, the the thing that I got out of it, other than a bear, is I had to go through that first trip and go through all that disappointment and then go through all that on this one yeah. to finally get that bear on the last day of the second trip. And that bear means so much. Oh, yeah. That yeah. means so much to finally get him. And he's got the, I didn't even want a bear with white on him, but he's got, you know, the guides were saying that's one of the biggest white patches I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. And so that makes him a trophy by itself. Yeah. So I was, I was pretty stoked over that, but I, I knew I had to go through all that. Yeah. I realized I had to go through all that to get to that. Yeah. At the end. I mean, I mean, it's, that's, that, it's that way with anything. The harder you have to work for it, the sweeter the reward. Yeah. I mean, that's just how it goes. So as far as traveling, going hunting in Africa, what are the steps you would take? Say, well, I obviously don't know how to go about it. What would you tell me to do? This is going to sound funny to you. First thing I would say is go out and buy the book, Planning an African Safari by Kerry Thomas. (laughs) (laughs) Boom. (laughs) Just like that. Now, um, I would recommend that you go to like DSC in Dallas, go to the safari show, Houston safari show. Cause all the, not all of them, but a bunch of the outfitters from over there, they come here and they set up and they are there to answer your questions and all that. But figure out what you want to hunt and where you want to hunt it at mm-hmm. and then find a pH that's there and ask them lots of questions. Yeah. Um, it took me, it took me a couple of months to book that first one once I found out who I was going with. And then the second trip, I bet it took 
five or six months worth of emails back and forth working on a price because mm-hmm. I had an outfitter I wanted to go with, but he was expensive. Yeah. And I told him that I really want to hunt with you, but your prices are way higher than everybody else's. And we worked together and, and we came to an agreement yeah. that was doable for both of us. Yeah. Um, uh, then you got to figure out your flights um, and the animals. You figure out what you want to hunt and get your price list. Okay, I want to hunt this, 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 and this, and it'll all cost me this much. And most of the outfitters have something set up that you can put a deposit down, mm-hmm. and then you can start making payments. So you today is you know it's it's May, and you thinking you're going next summer, so you book your trip. Well, you've got up until that trip to get all those animals paid for. So first thing I would do is get my flight because the further out you get that flight, the cheaper it's going to be. Mm-hmm. Get your flight taken care of and then start making payments on those animals. You get a few dollars here for Christmas. Instead of getting a, a new pair of boots, get me some money for my zebra yeah, and stuff like that or ammo or whatever you need for that trip and then get all that stuff together. And you should have your animals paid for before you go. Mm-hmm. And you've got a, a daily rate that's that deposit's probably going to help cover that. That's the money that you pay every day to be there to be taken care of, fed and trackers and the trucks and, and skinners and all that stuff. And that's your daily rate. So once you get that part taken care of and then you start making payments on your animals, what you want to shoot. And everybody says, well, how much does it cost to go over there? It depends on what you want to shoot. Yeah. Are you trying to shoot leopard and buffalo and all that? Well, yeah, it's going to cost you. But if you're trying to shoot some warthogs and impala and, and zebra and wildebeest, it's not as near as bad. Yeah. And so you just, you got to work the, the plan, but plug in the book. That's, yeah. that's what I spelled out step by step, all that stuff in there. So you can figure out how to do it and, and what not to do. All right. And where is this brawl? Is this book available? Uh, it's on Amazon, Barnes and Noble. I think, uh, uh, Apple it's ebook and it's hardcover. If you want that, what, <clears throat> what inspired you to write a book on this subject? Uh, Just people asking you lots of questions. Well, some some of that, but and of course I say it in there. I just I wanted to unmuddy the waters for right. people that wanted to go because nobody knows where to start. Yeah, and man, I'd love to hunt Africa, but I'm scared to death too. Yeah, well, it's not scary because when you show up, your pH is at the airport holding a little sign up. If you hadn't met him before, uh, he's holding a sign up that says Thomas. And mm-hmm. so I'm like, oh, hey, Tony, how's it going? Or, you know, he doesn't have to hold a sign for me. But I go over, and then he takes me over to the police department there at the airport. And I've already got my paperwork done. There's a company that it's an eight-page form that you have to fill out to take your gun over there. You don't have to fill out all eight <clears> pages, but there's a company that you can pay them, fill that stuff out, send it to them. They file it with the police department. So instead of standing in this long line with all your paperwork – you go straight over here to this little window. They get your gun, check serial numbers, you're done. You're on yeah. your way. And so then he takes you to camp. And so you see the country as you're driving along, but you're not going into the bad places and, and all that stuff that right. you're worried about. And you spend your time on the camp. It's And if you're hunting South Africa, which is where most first-timers are going to go, it's mm-hmm. the least expensive, it's going to be a high-fence place. Yeah. And a lot of people have a problem. Well, I don't want to hunt in a high fence. Well, the, the, the place where we hunt, I've, I've been on places that are 77,000 acres. Yeah. With a fence around it. 
So there's animals in there that's never seen that fence. Yeah. The where I shot the mountain reed buck where we're waiting on the warthog. We reset the odometer as we pulled in. It was twenty three miles to that water hole in the back of that property. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a problem with that fence. Yeah, no. It's <laughs> well, I mean it's also it's people's perspective of high fence ranches and all that is based off what you see a lot happening in Texas now where it's like come shoot this axis in our high fence ranch. Yeah. And it's like 55 acres. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas over there, it's huge. It's they're ginormous. Yeah. And it's not, it's not only from, it's more of a pers- preserve aspect over there. Mm-hmm. From what I understand. Highly managed. Yeah. It's, it's a high, it's huge. It's high fence. And it's the one place we were on, they were, once a year, they'd get in a helicopter and they'd fly a grid over the whole thing and they'd count animals mm-hmm. and say kudu. There may be 125 shootable kudu on there. Mm-hmm. Of that 125, they're going to shoot five that year. Yeah. And they're going to try to shoot the five best ones and the rest of them are still shooters, but they're, they keep the numbers yeah. where they need to be. It's far, It's probably far better managed than most stuff in the states here it is i mean that's they have to they have to or else it they just you know i've listened to a lot of pod any chance i get listened to a podcast about hunting in south africa you know it's kind of like my little start to exploring it because i'm definitely gonna do it you know i try to listen learn about it and oh <laughs> thought you were... just you i just like you. ruined a great monologue i'm sorry thank you <laughs> I thought you were trying to weigh me down like something was wrong. No, in my head, you were going to Africa, and I was going with you to photograph it. <laughs> and I was like, just like getting on the plane, you know, going through that hole. It's happening. I bet it'll be a couple of years still, but we're going to do it. I mean. Let me know. I'll go, too. Probably be calling you when we're ready. Like, I would much rather go with somebody that's been, you know. I've got the guy. I've definitely. Definitely want to do some night hunting over there. That's for sure. And we'll probably have to do some sort of long range, something or another in planes game type deal. But I'm really more the jackals and all that. That's, yeah. You know. That's when I talked to him last at DSC, that's all we talked about was jackal hunting. Which, I mean, don't get me wrong. I would love to do a leopard or a lion, stuff like that. But, uh, that's pretty expensive, isn't it? Yeah. Like those are things that are actually are yeah. pretty expensive. The, the big five, that's that's yeah. money. Yeah, I don't know if I'll I, I have a question. What uh, is it? Tipping your guide. This is something that I recently learned about. Again, I've never been on a guided hunt. Oh, how does yeah. how does that work over there? Is it different in Africa than it is stateside? Uh yes and no. Um uh, I hunted with a guy, uh PH that he said that you don't have to tip at all. You've, you've paid for a service. They've provided that and nobody's going to miss a meal if you don't tip. And he said, and he actually told me, he said, I would rather see you shoot something else and tip me. So that was different. And then you've got the others that their structure is set up to where they're relying on those tips. Right. And usually what you try to do is at the end of the safari, you tip the individuals that, right. that did that. Uh, one time they had little pieces of paper with all the, the trackers names on it and however much you wanted to give this guy. And you did that and you wrote it on that piece of paper, gave all the money to the pH. He kept it for him till the end of the season. 
And then he gave, you give them that piece of paper. So they've got their voucher that says, I got this much tip coming Mm -hmm. when it's payday. And so they do it that way. That way the hunter has a better feeling that the money's going where it's supposed to go. I know there's outfitters out there that you tip them and, and he says, all right, appreciate it. I'll make sure they get it. And (laughs) yeah, they're not getting that. I'm assuming Africa is South Africa is probably your favorite thing to do as far as that type of hunting. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. I wish I could afford to go every year. Did you bring any of those? Do you have any of those books with you? I'll buy one. May have one in the truck. I will buy one off of you. You have one. Let me see what I have in the truck. The habit is you always have to have a book with you. And so I think I have one in the truck. I have to look. Well, where else? So Amazon, obviously, find a book. Uh, What all social media platforms are you currently on? And what's your, do they call it handle? Yeah, Uh, what's the best way to get to to find more information? Yeah. Uh, I am on Facebook, Carrie Thomas. Uh, Instagram, I think it's Carrie Thomas Doubt Outdoors. Yeah, I think so too. He should be able to. You know, I'll link it all in the comments. Uh, I have a Twitter account, but I don't really do much on Twitter. I don't have one. I guess I'm not cool. <laughs> might have to get one soon. I'm, I might get one. <laughs> now that <laughs> Elon. Yeah. Shout out to him about our new internet. <laughs> well, I mean, I think that's a pretty good place to wrap it up. Yep. We've been going at it for a while. Well, we appreciate you coming. We'll see you guys next time. All right. It was a pleasure. Absolutely.